You're listening to On The Air. It's time to talk about kitesurfing. And here's your host, Lewis Crawford. Hi again, here we go with episode number three of On The Air. During this podcast, I speak to pro rider Nick Jacobson from Denmark. We talk about life, love, leashes, king of the air, and of course, those famous jumps. If you don't know who this guy is, just YouTube Abu Dhabi and kite surfing. He leaps off a massive skyscraper building with his kite. And during our interview, he's going to talk about it and how that amazing moment felt. Sam's back with another traffic report, this time from Tarifa, I hear. And as usual, Coach Cratham will help you progress on your kiteboarding journeys. Enjoy! Without further ado, let's get Nick on the show. Nick is a Danish champion, King of the Air champion, and is widely regarded as one of the leading extreme riders in the kiteboarding world this moment. His thinking out of the box with new ways to use a kite has led to some major sponsors and big projects. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks for having me on. Where exactly are you right now? I am currently in cold, cold Copenhagen, Denmark. That's your home, right? Um, That is my home, I would say. I'm from Denmark. I'm Danish. And, um, you know, I'm traveling the world all the time. So it's some, like, you know, sometimes it's hard to know where you are and you know where your home is but i would say this is this is my home yeah and it's uh, maybe a strange time to be back it's february and uh, i pretty much i imagine the last 10 years or so you'd usually be out in cape town uh, for the kiteboarding until the end of the season maybe into march but you must have returned early this this year due to an injury how's all of that going yeah, so I um I broke my fibula, my ankle. Um, what's that? Two two weeks prior to the event, the King of the Air event, and that's the reason why I'm back home now in the cold, doing rehab and you know training every day to get my ankle back on track. So you know it's it's different. <laughs> it's it's a lot colder than than you know um than being in in Cape Town as I'm used to this time of the year but you know I'm I'm positive I'm just you know busy every day I'm I pretty much live in the gym at the moment so I'm just wow. there every single day trying to get my ankle up to speed again this is your first major injury that you've you've ever had in your professional career is that right yes that's correct I've you know I've bruised ribs and you know minor injuries but Nothing, nothing like this. This is a, this is a pretty big one. I had surgery in Cape Town because I wasn't allowed to fly, and um, yeah, you know, it's um, it's what it is. I have like you know, as 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 you know, um, everyone has gotten you know ACL replacements. They broke their ankles and everything, and I never really had anything um, that's ser- as serious as as I have now, and. To be honest, it's it's just a mental game. In the beginning, I I was in bed for two and a half weeks. Uh, I wasn't able to do do anything. I was peeing in a bottle in bed, and I couldn't. I had to keep my um, angle elevated above my heart at all time. So you know, you 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 start to um, your mindset. I would say changes quite a bit. Um, I'm glad not now I can, you know, for example, solve a Rubik's cube within four minutes. Wow, what this was this happened because of this injury? Exactly. I'm I'm in bed for two and a half weeks, and when you think about it, when you're in bed, you can pick up a series on Netflix, you can watch movies all day long, you can, 
you know, read about stuff and what I, I, I kind of had, I had a hard time justifying for myself watching movies on a Monday morning, you know, and yeah. uh, it felt a bit too lazy in a way. So I was just trying to be as productive as I could while being on morphine on, or, you know, some, <laughs> some pretty hardcore drugs. So you're not far away then, actually, from getting back out there. Was it six to eight weeks, they said, or is it going to be longer? Recovery time is a little longer. They, they said in between two and three months, it's been six weeks post-op um, tomorrow, no, in two days. So, you know, I'm, I'm still walking around in a big uh, moon boot and I'm allowed to put 100% weight on my foot now in, in the moon boot. But, um, you know, I'm waking up early every day, going swimming in the in, indoor and, and going to the gym every day. So it's, you know, I can I can feel like every day there's small improvements here and there. Well, that's the main thing, I suppose. And I'm glad that's working out for you. Let's move things on a little bit to something that I suppose this is a really personal question that I couldn't wait to ask you. And it relates to your crane jump. So I don't think a lot of people know that your sort of first biggest jump off the crane in Cape Town off that really old boat which was washed up and there for years you actually had to do that twice can you can you sort of bring some light onto that a little bit for for the listeners and myself as well how did that come about yeah I'm, I'm actually glad that you say that I had to because you know you don't really have to I guess <laughs> yeah. but you know in my case I I, I had to because the, the first time I did it, um, I didn't really plan it that well. I was just filming with my guy uh, down by Kite Beach where the wreck was. And I was riding and I was doing, you know, slim chances and, and blind judges. I was just doing freestyle. And I was on my 11 uh, square meter kite and the wind dropped a bit. So I thought I would tag out like pretty far out. And then because the wind was a bit stronger on the outside. So I would tag out and then tag upwind and then come back in and then just you know finish the session so as i you know pass the the shipwreck then i'm on the other side of the shipwreck now from the beach and i'm checking upwind and all of a sudden this massive ship is just in my way so i could either you know tag a bit further upwind or go downwind and i'm like hmm why don't i just you know jump onto the wreck <laughs> and take my board in my hand and just you know cross it so I did that. I jumped onto the to the boat. That's only like two or three meters uh, of a jump. So I jumped onto the board. Uh, sorry, boat. And um, I'm starting to walk across the ship, and and I'm like, you know, looking up on that crane, and that could be fun, you know. And I know that my friend he's filming on the beach, and hopefully he's got enough battery to record this. And I'm like, well, let's let's just try and climb, you know, halfway up, and maybe just launch off it. So you didn't tell him, you hadn't told him about this idea. This had remained firmly in your brain, the sort of fantasy, yeah. if you like, about going off this boat. And it became, sounds like it was just an impulse reaction just to being in the right place. You just went for it randomly. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I um, I was on the boat and I, I didn't, you know, it was only when I was about, I actually put my, my board down on the on the boat to jump off it, uh, that two or three meter drop, and then just yeah. ride into the beach. And I had my feet in my foot straps and I'm, I was almost about to jump. And I'm like, well, why don't I just jump from that point, you know? And then, then I would climb up there and, um, and I look at it. I'm like, maybe I should just add a few meters to this jump. And all of a sudden I'm, you know, on top of this crazy rusty crane. And um, I'm just praying that, that, my, that my friend is filming from the beach. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I jumped, and you know, it was blowing southeast. It was yeah, southeaster, and it was sort of gusty. Um, but I, I I kept having my my right hand on the release, and my left hand I would use to climb. So somehow I got to the to the top, and I jumped off, and I kited in. I'm like, did you please tell me you filmed this? And he's like, yeah, I got it. This is crazy. And <laughs> you got to the beach. He had it on film. It was it was epic. It was gold. Then what happened? Yeah, so uh, we're celebrating for like five minutes, and uh, the wind died. We drove up to big a bit further north in Big Bay to go for a surf session, and we paddle out, and because uh, there's no wind, the wind died. So uh, we paddle out. We catch a few waves. We come back into the beach, and um, someone had uh, broken into our car. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. That is so hard to get your head around. Oh, like, man. Uh, I just looked at that door. I'm like, oh, maybe I forgot to close it. Maybe uh, my <laughs> friend did. I was just, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. So I opened and the camera was gone. And all my kites were still there. The camera was gone. My phone was gone. Um, a few other items were, were, were gone. But I was just bummed that the camera was gone. Those sorts of things, like, I always imagine something uh, of this sort of scale you you don't really gear up to do this sort of thing twice the idea of having to go through it all again to oh yeah it's horrible prepare yourself it's like oh, i can't believe i've got to do this again i bet that was unbelievable yeah it's horrible Ima- imagine you have to jump over the the brighton pier again i mean it- no <laughs> no i don't want to ever do that again would you would you do it if you lost the footage Yes, I wouldn't have had. I would have hurt. It would have been a burning desire inside of me. I understand why he didn't. I mean, I, I suppose all people that use a GoPro in any environment can understand, in a, in maybe a very smaller scale, that feeling when you have an amazing moment and it's not there. When you look through your footage and it's not there, it can be a very hard thing mentally to detach yourself from. That you actually you did see it and enjoy it and feel it, which is probably the most. Im- important thing about it but the fact you can't share it yeah. becomes a major thing technology and being out doing these sports it can really mess your mind up but this was different you you had every right to want to share this amazing experience and more so every right to, to see it for the rest of your life through your eyes so maybe it was a, a good thing that you could do it all with every angle yeah no definitely I'm, I'm happy that we got it and, and we flew back just to do it and and um, yeah, you know, pretty happy with the whole production. And I think I would, I would probably be a little bummed when, when I'm sixty and I, I look back at it, and I would think to myself that this could have been done in such a cool way. You're listening to On the Air with Lewis Crathen. I wanted to touch a little bit on um, Richie B, as we call him in the UK, Richard Branson, and he's become a good mate of yours and the Virgin brand and I thought that would be uh, interesting to find out a little bit more about how how has this come around yeah so Richie B I uh, the first time I met him was in 2013 I guess 2012 or something I was at a kite event uh, on his island um, and you know it's he he's a he's he's such a cool guy and he's such a imagine being him imagine Having people coming up to you all the time, uh, pitching an idea or wanting your money, basically, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that must be horrible. So 
I think what I did back then, I, I jumped off his island with a kite and I asked him the night, the evening before if, if, if he was cool with it. And he was like, yeah, <laughs> please just, just sign like these 954 waivers and then you can do it. <laughs> it's not like they have a waiver yeah. laying around on Necker Island for stuff like this. So it took them a few hours to, to, um, to write everything up and sign the contract, sign the waivers. So, um, you know, I jumped off his island the next morning and uh, we had a meeting about kiting and, and, and stuff and we had a good conversation about everything. And, um, and you know, and he was like, so what's, what's your next big thing? Um, and I showed him the crane jump as we just talked about and, and he wanted to, to see this video like 500 times of me, of me jumping off his island and he really liked it. And um, he told me, hey, I, I have another island, Mosquito Island, you can jump off of that if you like. And so I jumped off that island and, <laughs> you know, uh, next was just, so he asked me, so what's, what's your next big, um, big thing that, you, that you're doing? And I told him about my, my plans in, in Dubai. He didn't laugh at me when I told him about all my other projects. And I really, you know, admire him f for that, you know. He's, yeah. he's just like, well, that's cool. You have a dream and you want to do that. And even though that he might know that it's, that it's uh, unrealistic or it, it might not happen, he still supports it. And that's, that's what I find super fascinating about this guy. Maybe, maybe we can talk a little bit about that, that massive one in Dubai then. You know, that was, that was off the scale height. And had you ever been up that high with a kite before, like a toe-up, before you took that one on? Um, no. Because <laughs> that's one of my questions for you with this stuff is, is how does it feel that high? Your regular kite board or even your pro kite boarder to that degree. I, I mean, I've never been up that high with a kite does, do things change in regards to how the kite flies is it scary to be that high or have you just got to trust yourself you know you, you have to trust your gear you have to trust your sponsors i guess uh the people that you work with the the fabric you know i don't know what i don't even know where to start uh, to be honest um being up that high it's 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 quite a, a rare um feeling um especially without a kite i was actually more afraid without a kite just walking around on that helipad looking down than having the kite above me because i feel safe when when my when i have my kite above me i, I feel safe um on those heights so i was i went up there so many so many times i was looking down and i was trying to visualize um my flight down and and it was such a tough one to pull off because we needed so many different permits. I flew in and out Dubai for so many years. It was a plan since, I don't know, like five, six years ago. And it's it just seemed so uh, ridiculous to put that amount yeah. of energy into a project that, I mean, what does it actually give you? Talk me down through that jump. I want to know exactly from the point you were like, right, I'm going. It's time to go. What happened next? You're standing there, the wind's good, everything's good. No more permits, no more nothing. It's just you and your kite. Yeah, it's just me and my kite. I launched the kite. Uh, I'm on a 14 square meter kite. And um, I think it's it's around 10 knots, like close to nothing. It wasn't that windy at all. I was, you know, walking around on the helipad, pulling my power lines, my right and left line. Um, just to backstall it a bit, not to, because as soon as the wind hits the building, it climbs, it goes up, and that upwind, when that hits the kite, the kite wants to fly above your head and uh, stall. So you need to, I had to like kind of 
backstall it in a way all the time. So it was it was sort of stressful walking around up there, especially with up with the board and everything, and one hand on the bar, one hand on the, on the quick release. So if anything would go wrong, I could always release release myself. But then again, then you know I've been working for this for like five years to get all the permits to actually stand on top of this building with a kite above me. So it would it would suck to have to have to release that kite, you know. <laughs> yeah, you just go with it. If something happened, you just go off the edge. Right? You're like, oh. yeah, that's that's sort of how how I felt. But anyway, I got I get to the edge. I put my board down. It's so not windy. There's like close to nothing, <laughs> like eight to ten knots. And what I what I pictured in my mind um, was me, you know, sending the kite from left to right. And do like a board off or do a rotation or something. But there was no wind. So what I did was I sent the kite from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock. Actually, it's 2 o'clock or something. And nothing happened. I didn't get launched. Nothing happened. I'm like, well, if I back out now, the kite might actually stall because it's too far down. So the only thing that I can do now is to, you know, jump with my legs. Like three, two, one, (laughs) jump. No tension, nothing. Just, just jump off. Yeah. So the tension would only, it would only get you know, tension when when I'm in the air. So, I sent the kite from eleven to two, and um, it's just like a drop of I don't know three or five meters, um, of you know sort of free fall in a way until wow. the line the the lines caught me and and I created tension on the kite and the lines and everything and. As soon as you're out there, you're good. You know, it's 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 the beginning that I was a bit worried about. Um, but yeah, then I was I was flying and I I kept being up there for ages because the wind just you know um, pushes me up all the time. So I think I was on the same level altitude for at least like ten or fifteen seconds. And wow! Then, what a feeling! Oh man, it was amazing! Amazing. But, you know, it was so light, so I had to, like, loop the kite all the time. And as soon as you loop the kite to the right, for example, you have to either loop it to the left or spin the bar out pretty quick because you don't want your lines to, to be crossed for too long. Cause yeah, you're removing that element of risk, I suppose, with the friction on your lines. Okay, well, I didn't even know you were doing that. That's that's quite interesting. Yeah, so I, was, I, would, I would be, you know, doing one kite loop to one side. Uh, I would spin the bar out. Um, or I would just do a kite loop to the other side, and that's what I did all the way down. And it 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 you know it was great. I I landed and I kited for like two meters or something, and there's there's no wind, so I landed very soft. And um, there's actually a documentary um that we that we filmed on this. Uh, it's a one hour long documentary on the whole process. Where can we see that? It'll be on Netflix in around two months time. Let's talk then finally a couple of more questions to you. I want to talk to you about King of the Air. This was the first year in six years that you weren't in the event. How did that feel? Um, it felt way better than I expected. Um, <laughs> uh, it was actually cool to see the event from the bench this year. I, I actually I, I learned quite a bit from it. Um, I bet it was cool. I bet it was a great year to sit there thinking, "Oh, this is a bit light." You know, I'm, I picked a good year. I picked a good year to be out of this thing. Is that is that what you <laughs> were thinking or not? Definitely. <laughs> oh man, I was so happy I didn't compete. To be honest, it's interesting to see you know all my friends compete, uh, all the different different mindsets, all the different uh, approaches that they all have. Um, 
and looking at it from the outside as a, a spectator, um, you have actually no idea what's going on on the battlefield, like on in the arena, like on the water. You're just there, you're cheering, you're drinking a beer, you're doing whatever you are. And I really enjoyed uh, being on that side of the fence, you know. Um, and I think I'll, I, I, hopefully I can benefit from that next year when I compete. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. And... Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I did. And from the perspective of the, the format, the event itself, you may have heard my last podcast where I really talked about that in depth. And I suppose from my perspective, I shared my opinion. And, and I think me and Ruben both agree certainly on a lot of it. How is that for you? You know, How do you feel about the... The, the the status of the event and going forwards and the you know like the light wind we had this year can we go forward with that what's your general feeling um so we have to be honest right yeah oh yeah always so my hand on the bible <laughs> i think you know people should do whatever they feel like and whatever they uh, feel is right they should go for but sometimes yeah. there is certain restrictions that doesn't allow you to do whatever you want you know um, in terms of the format of the Red Bull King of the Air, I think it's become such a hype, such a big event in the kite scene, which it is, you know. Um, but once in a while, I, I feel like the King of the Air format is pushing the riders to do more of a show uh, in favor of the audience than the actual competitors themselves, you know. So yeah. keeping, keeping that in mind, I definitely think... Um, a handle for for riders is something um, that's that that's it. It all depends on the format, you know. If I had to, uh, if I was you know Red Bull King of the Air, I would restructure it. You know, um, we were all training. I was training the Kaido Bordov all the time because I thought this is new. This is something interesting. I enjoy doing it. Um, I don't really care about what what any of the other guys think about it. I really enjoy doing it. It's such a yeah. rush that I get from it. So I'm going to carry on doing it, you know? Coming back to, to the format and stuff, I, I, I definitely believe that because we, we didn't really know what to focus on um, except for, you know, seven days prior to the event. So I, I didn't know if they wanted, if the judges wanted to see Megaloop KGBs, Kyle Bordovs, uh, massive, you know, Bordovs or whatever, you know? I... I, I didn't know, but what I did know was that certain riders, they will get very, very far because they are so quick at adapting to yeah. you know, um, the different uh, scenarios and cases like Aaron, you know, Aaron, Kevin, the old dogs that has been, you know, do, competing, they've been competing all their lives. So Yeah, one of their biggest skills is adapting, I suppose. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, look at Aaron. Look at Aaron Hatlow. He maybe, I think he... To be honest, I think he's been training for the Kaido Bordov maybe two or three days before the event. And then he yeah. goes out there, he rides like half a heat on his boots. He pulls off all this crazy stuff. He goes to the beach, changes his board to foot straps. I mean, just just doing that is pretty crazy, if you ask me. That was one of the epic moments of that event. So you, you watch this one, but we're going to see you back there next year because you do have an injury wildcard, I believe. If I'm not too sure what's going on. I, I guess I have, um, but we will see. I mean, if I don't, then I'll try and submit a video and, and, and um, yeah, be back. But I, I, I do feel like we should, you know, try and get together uh, as all the riders and 
and try and nail down this format because it feels like Red Bull are trying to, it's, it's nothing bad about it, it's just more of a, a fact that what they want, they want a lot of people tuning on the, in on the live feed, um, a lot of people on the beach obviously, but it feels like we're putting on such a big show um, and we don't really know what like what like why you know what i'm saying yeah no i do i know what you're all, saying. all of a sudden uh like you for example two two or three years ago you ended up in a coma for a week you know yeah i don't remember what you're talking about <laughs> oh yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> you know and that's pretty crazy you know people break stuff you know jesse broke both his legs he had to fly back to maui if we choose to compete we we know what why and you know why yeah. we're competing and should be completely on our terms that we doing this stuff i think that's what the riders want, are looking for a bit more nowadays is a bit more um influence well nick we're going to wrap things up it's been a pleasure to chat to you and, and and closing my mind and imagining some of those things was awesome so thanks so much yeah thanks lewis thanks for having me on amazing chat there with nick and still a very down-to-earth guy who has not forgotten his roots in the sport what is he going to come up with next let's get some traffic with sam medetsky Traffic Report with Sam Medetsky. Looking at Tarifa in Spain, on the whole, traffic is moving relatively smoothly during the spring season. Be wary when riding in the lagoon, police are performing random checks and are said to be issuing fines for inconsiderable people that go kite surfing and are breaking the law. Good conditions at Bologna continue. Finding a good parking spot might take five laps of the castle, but I have reports of a new route into the area. The spot can now be easily accessed through a huge boost over the seawall, which is starting to become a popular choice for users. Over to the west, in and out of Velda Fakiras. The car park is beginning to slow up. Hungover riders arriving late to the beach may as well forget about it. It's like a prison down there. Easy to get in, overcrowded inside, and hard to get out. Looking to the east, Pelmonez is still providing a nice refuge from a strong Levante breeze, but I would allow for more time in your journey if you are traveling in an older vehicle. That high mountain pass is quite the bitch. Heavy traffic on the water is expected from May onwards, but for now, that's your traffic. I'm Sam Maditsky. Thanks, Sam. Kiteboarding Tips with Coach Crefham. Take your riding to the next level. Okay, so last episode, I asked you this question. Knots, miles per hour, kilometers an hour are all a form of wind measurement. But what is the measurement known as that relates wind speed to observed conditions at sea or on land? Dixie Quinn absolutely nailed it in no time at all. The answer, of course, was the Beaufort scale. And Dixie has asked me the following questions. I'd love to know more about your home conditions and how they compare to the other spots in terms of wind, gusts, shallowness and swell, etc. What's the ideal spot for extreme air? How do you tame extreme gusts? What about mega loops? I imagine you must be prepared mentally not just to handle the gusts, but to give them all you've got. Gusts of your fuel, what can go wrong? So I'm pretty sure that's more than one question. So I am going to pick one question. And the question I will pick is, what is the ideal spot for extreme air? The answer is Cape Town, and it's for a number of reasons, which I'd like to share with you now. I mean, generally speaking, a spot with very strong wind will give you great extreme conditions. But these ramps, these these perfect waves coming in in Cape Town are what you are looking for to give you that extra height. But it's not just the, the quality of the shape of the wave. 
it's the direction they come from in Cape Town which makes them so special. So picture this then, you're riding out left foot forwards, cross jaw completely if you like, right really powerful, 30, 40 knots. Usually windswell waves or, or generally all waves tend to, to, to break the same way that the wind is blowing. The unique thing about Cape Town is the direction of the waves. They're actually coming towards you and traveling upwind slightly. So when you watch closely, you can see them breaking downwind of you and the breaking point is coming all the way towards you. And this not only belts you upwind at that last moment, but just creates such a, a feeling of acceleration as you hit the vertical part of that. It's, it's traveling towards the beach this wave as well. So it's giving you really quite an extra bit of tension with your kite. You think of a power of a wave dragging you towards the beach, you're riding out to sea, you're getting all these extra variables that really help. Another major thing about the wind is the wind density. It's quite a cold sort of wind that blows in Cape Town. It's more dense and therefore we go higher than if it's just warm air. So really it's this combination of wave angle, strength of wind, and the density, which is why Cape Town's so special. So if you would like to ask me a question in the next episode, please leave your answer on my Facebook page below this podcast post or on SoundCloud. I'll find it. And it's to the following question. Who is this? They're paddling around the city and around the harbour and it's awesome. You know, the place is insane. I can't really do any other type of quiz as you're just going to slam it in Google and find the answer. So one more time. Who is this? They're paddling around the city and around the harbour and it's awesome. You know, the place is insane. Who is it? The place is insane, insane, insane. Taking a closer look at the woo scene. Worldwide on woo. Our friends at Fang Rang Kite Centre in Vietnam hosted their own King of the Air or Queen of the Air. It ended up being an epic battle between 35 riders which saw winners Carl Robertson achieve 11.8 metres. That was a personal record in the finals. And Aya Oshima in the ladies achieve a 10.3 metres to be crowned king and queen of the air respectively. Nice one guys. The global top three unchanged again. Josh Lees, then it's Stuart Downey and Nick Jacobson. They're all up there basically nearly on 30 metres. No one's done it yet. Why is it unchanged? Well, the strength of the wind has not been there in Cape Town throughout Feb, but things do look more promising for the next couple of weeks. Maybe we're going to get a change there. Antoine Airlines brings in a new personal record of 25.3 metres from a session in Cape Town. Nice one, mate. We have our first Slovenian over the 20 metres mark. Iztok, I'll just go with the first name. Well done, 23.2 metres in Cape Town again. There must be something about that place. To finish up with our worldwide on Woo, I had to mention Captain Morgan. No, not the Spice Gold. I am mentioning the UK rider who has been out in possibly the harshest conditions ever seen in the UK. To give you an idea what it's been about, we, we like to moan about bad weather in the UK, but this time it's for real. The whole of February has been pretty much below minus 10 sometimes. And if you were to look at this guy's Woo stats, He's going out all the time like it's the middle of summer. The sea has even been freezing over in the area of the country where he's from. It's down in the southeast, which is known as Kent. But it's no problems for him, though. He managed to set his own personal record of 16.3 metres in the coldest month of the year, February. No probs. So congrats to Captain Morgan, who logged the biggest jump in the UK in February, 16.3 metres. That is some serious keen riding. So have you heard yet? The next chapter of Woo is coming. 
Woo 3.0 will have new features, new ways to play, and a complete redesign. I'm actively involved in this, and I can tell you that this is going to be big. To give you just a small insight to what might be on the cards, imagine for one second, close your eyes now, imagine you're about to go out in 18 knots. Boring, right? Well, not anymore. Could you rack up 30 meters of accumulative height in a minute? Or how about sticking three jumps in a row exactly in the seven meter range? Woo 3.0 will challenge you and your mates in so many more ways. And even more exciting is that it will pair with your Apple Watch. Woo! That's it for episode three. It's goodbye from me. And remember, always fly your kite with your head, not your hands. Way up. Over to the west, in and out of Veldificeros, 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 Falafels, Bacon, Pancakes.